I'm Earl Green, and this is your Sci-Fi 5, five minutes of science fiction history for February 18th. Is it a minor planet, a dwarf planet, or a planet planet? Does it really matter? Discovered on this day in 1930, Pluto proved to be a destination, the furthest waypoint in the outer solar system for decades, until the discovery of similar small bodies raised the question of whether it could be considered a planet at all. But how was it discovered, and how did astronomers know where to look for it? The search for Pluto began in the 1800s, when astronomers realized that their calculations of the orbits of Uranus and Neptune, then the two outermost planets, only made sense if something beyond their orbits had enough mass to be affecting their orbits with its own gravity. With mathematical calculations indicating that something else was out there, astronomers got back to their telescopes. The hunt for the ninth planet was on, and it lasted into the 20th century. Astronomer Clyde Tombaugh, comparing still photos he had taken through the 13-inch telescope at Lowell Observatory, found that one tiny point of light had moved. Pluto had been discovered. Originally thought to be at least as large as Earth during the 1930s and 40s, by the 70s it was known that Pluto was quite a bit smaller than that. And this was supposed to be having an effect on much larger worlds? With the discovery of objects like Eris and Sedna in the 21st century, Pluto lost its classification as the ninth planet and became the prime specimen of outer solar system dwarf planets. An entire zone of them, known as Kuiper Belt objects, is theorized to exist, and many more have been found since then. Like a lot of planetary science discoveries in the 20th century, Pluto was eagerly adopted by many a science fiction writer as a source of fresh inspiration. In fact, H.P. Lovecraft himself was working on his story, The Whisperer in Darkness, involving a ninth planet of the solar system when the discovery of Pluto was announced. And appropriately enough, there is now a surface feature on Pluto called Cthulhu Macula, after Lovecraft's most famous creation. With little known about Pluto, other than that it was tiny, cold, and almost unimaginably remote, it was practically a blank canvas for authors of pulp sci-fi tales, such as E.E. E. Doc Smith, who incorporated it into his Lensman stories, and Robert A. Heinlein, who worked it into Have Space Suit Will Travel and Starship Troopers. On the small screen, Pluto was the beachhead of the Gamelon invasion force encroaching on the solar system in the early 70s anime space battleship Yamato, and Pluto's role in the story was preserved when Yamato was translated for the Western world as Starblazers. In a 1970s Doctor Who story featuring Tom Baker, the Doctor, Leela, and K-9 land the TARDIS on Pluto, finding that nine artificial suns have been constructed around it as human laborers are worked and taxed to the bone on the surface. But later came the first attempts to train the Hubble Space Telescope's eye on Pluto, and closer examinations and plans to send a robot space probe there. Sci-fi writers had to adjust to new scientific discoveries as they went public. More recent stories of life on Pluto involve creatures with superconducting blood and other life processes that make sense in the planet's extreme cold environment. Now here's the paradox. 
Pluto is a tiny, tiny world, and its orbit is highly inclined with respect to the eight planets whose orbits are closer to the Sun. It literally orbits the Sun at a different angle from the rest. Without the necessary mass, it can't possibly have perturbed the orbits of Uranus and Neptune, though measurements of Neptune's mass made in 1989 by Voyager 2 may indicate that the search that led to Pluto's discovery was a wild goose chase. Or was it? The discovery of some of Pluto's fellow Kuiper Belt objects and their extremely eccentric orbits may be a strong indication that something else is still out there disturbing those orbits. And yes, astronomers are still trying to find it. But just knowing that, it practically begs for more stories yet to be told, doesn't it? This has been 5 Minutes of Science Fiction History, your daily Sci-Fi 5 for February 18th. Sci-Fi 5 is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.